The Anton Savage Show Saturday with Nifty Business on News Talk. This week, the New York Times has been reporting on new evidence emerging in a 50-year-old murder mystery, maybe, because it's very hard to tell was there a murder or was there not, in large part because whatever happened happened 20,000 feet up on the highest mountain in the Western Hemisphere. The reporting has been by John Branch into the death of these two climbers back in 1973 and new evidence unearthed by him in the last week or so. He's with us on the show. Good morning, John. Good morning, Anton. Glad to be here. John, for those unfamiliar, this was a climbing expedition undertaken by a group of Americans to a, what, a 23,000-foot high mountain in South America. That's correct. Uh, Aconcagua is the tallest mountain outside of Asia. And this was a group of eight Americans back in 1973 who were basically based in uh, in Oregon, and it contained a, a NASA engineer who had just come off the Apollo mission named John Cooper and a woman from Denver, Colorado named Janet Johnson. And eight people went up the mountain and six people came back and Cooper and Johnson were left high on the mountain as the Americans came back down and went back home to the United States. And as sad as that might be, It's not that desperately unusual. If anybody's read any of the Everest books, they will know that regularly people become exhausted, they become hypothermic, they become disorientated, and the others aren't physically able to take them back down the mountain. So what was the first indication that there might be more to this story than that? Well, what happened was the the, the group fractured on the way up. So four people basically came down early because of high-altitude sickness. And so four Americans kept going on up to try to make a summit push. Of those four, two of them came back alone and said, hey, the other two are, are dead, we're afraid. And their stories conflicted a little bit about what happened. And so the news media was very keen on this story right from the get-go there in Argentina. Because it was Americans, because there was a woman, because of the route they were taking, because there was a NASA engineer, this had, had, had elicited quite a bit of attention even before they started. And so when they came back missing the teacher, the female teacher and the NASA engineer, the news media was all over it. And they realized that the stories seemed to conflict a little bit. And then there seemed to be a hasty exit out of Argentina back to the United States. And in their wake, they the Americans left a lot of questions unanswered, which um, the media there and, and the folks there sort of filled the vacuum with um, thoughts of what might have actually occurred. And of course, the big challenge is that they, they left a lot of questions. They left the evidence 20,000 feet up the mountain as well, which means it is a difficult, if there is a crime scene, it's a difficult crime scene to examine. So how long before they were able to actually have a look at the bodies and get a sense of what had happened? Yeah. So, I mean, part of the speculation was because there were no bodies and so there was no evidence. And so a judge was assigned to the case and an investigator was assigned to the case. And they said, well, we can't do anything until we have these bodies. We can't rule out foul play. And so that notion of foul play was planted from the from the very beginning. And it took about six months, the next climbing season uh, in late 1973, for an expedition to go up to try to find the bodies. And they found the body of John Cooper and brought it back down. And um, the autopsy then showed that not only did he have a, a strange hole, a cylindrical hole in his abdomen that went all the way to his spine, but he also had damage to his face. And the cause of death was not exposure or anything to do with high altitude, but it was brain damage. He had blows to the head, which just fueled more and more speculation. And the judge then came out and said, we can't rule out anything. We need the body of Janet Johnson. But surely you would expect there to be brain damage if he had suffered a significant fall. 
That is true. And that's what a lot of people and very reasonable people assume happened, that, that John Cooper had fallen down the glacier on his return down the mountain. The others had left him to go down alone, which was obviously a mistake. Uh, and perhaps he had fallen down and then perhaps stumbled to some point where he sat down, exhausted, frozen, whatever, and, and died there on a pretty shallow slope. But the people who found the body said, that seems strange that he would have died right here because it's, it's a pretty flat ground. So did he fall somewhere else and then, you know, have the wherewithal to get to this point? And this is where he died. And that was where, where all the speculation came from for people to say, we need Janet Johnson's body before we can really figure out anything. And of course, if they found Janet Johnson's body and if, if she had evidently died in what were clearly accidental circumstances, this might have put a lot of the rumours to bed. It didn't. It it didn't. Um, yeah, the bigger mystery was Janet Johnson. They could not find her body. Um, some who found John Cooper's body thought that she must have fallen off a mountain, that she had fallen off the Polish glacier, uh, which is a massive glacier near the top of Aconcagua. Um, but it, it took two years before people stumbled across her body and they found her. And the, how they found her was in a similar situation. She was on a pretty shallow ground. Her face was battered. There were three places where they could see the bone in her face. Um, there was a rock sitting on her chest, even though it was a, a, a field of snow all around her. Um, the guys who found her, the three men who found her, swore that there was foul play. Like this, this looked like a murder scene to them. And they went down the mountain and told the media what they had seen and showed them these gruesome pictures. And right then, again, uh, all the speculation w- went like wildfire to say, wait, now we have two bodies that seem very sus- suspect, and and there must have been something going on here. And so her body was examined by the coroner as well. And just like John Cooper, her cause of death was officially blows to the head. And in the piece that you've been uh, writing on this, you quote Daniel Orehu, the, uh, the assistant to the medical examiner on the mm-hmm. autopsy, and he said, they were killed, both of them. These kind of injuries were not self-inflicted. Right. Yeah, so the coroner's uh, report came out and basically named the cause of death, but did not speculate about how that could have happened. Um, but Daniel Rajo is 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 now a brain surgeon there in Mendoza, the city outside of, or at the base of Aconcagua. And he says he recalls it very well that the, the group in the room, all the coroners in the room, all agreed there, there was foul play here. There is something happened here that these people were killed. It wasn't just an, uh, another mountain accident. But if you were going to kill somebody, why would you wait until you and they are 20,000 feet up on the edge of the death zone at the, the ceiling of the world to do it? There has to be easier ways. This, this is where all the speculation goes like crazy because there's not enough evidence to really exactly say what happened. And so people have filled in the void. For 50 years, some people in Argentina have thought, well, maybe John Cooper was a CIA agent. I think they've conflated NASA with the CIA. There was talk about whether maybe somebody came across the Chilean border, which is right nearby, um, to kill these people. There was a talk of a, a bag of money that has gone missing. Uh, high in the mountain, a love triangle. People have tried to fill in these gaps with whatever they could they could come up with. Um, how could somebody die or be murdered, and, or why? I, I think the motive would be very unclear. I think the most reasonable people would suggest that if something happened with other people in the party to um, to kill John Cooper and Janet Johnson, it would have to be something where. You know, they were hallucinating. They were high altitude. They were desperate to save their own lives. They were frustrated. Um, We don't know any of that, but those are the more reasonable explanations. 
No, I would have thought, John, is there much precedence for it? Because when you look at deaths on most mountaineering expeditions, what you see is people being abandoned, either willfully or because the people are unable to give them help. It's very rare that you see other climbers get so frustrated that they quickly do a murder and then climb down the mountain. It's exactly right. Uh, we've never seen a case like this, I don't think. Um, you know, there's no, I, I don't know of any other cases where anybody's been accused of murder on a mountain, at least this high. Um, and, and I think the question could be raised, you know, is it even possible? You know, after you've spent five or six days at 6,000 meters or 7,000 meters at 20,000 feet, do you have the wherewithal to actually hurt somebody, harm somebody? Um or, or the strength? Uh, we don't know. Is it a case of pushing somebody down? Is it a case of smacking somebody because you're frustrated? Um, is it a case of just abandoning somebody? You know, I, I think a lot of people have conflated the idea of murder with, with manslaughter, which is, you know, an, an issue more of negligence than it is uh, outright trying to kill somebody. Um, we don't know exactly what happened on the mountain. We don't know if the last two people to see the, the two dead people um, were involved or if they simply just walked away, as their testimony said back in 1973. And some of the suggestions around why they walked away back in 1973 was that the two individuals um, separately had become hypoxic and exhausted and were unable to keep going and that they had been deteriorating. To some extent, recent evidence informs whether or not that was an ongoing process. Tell me before you get to how the, the evidence arrived to you, how did this story first arrive to you? Well, I, I got a message a couple of years ago from a climber and photographer down in Aconcagua who lives in Mendoza, Argentina, and who had seen some of my writing before and said, I think this story might interest you. Uh, please let me know if it does. And he said, the Polish glacier, which is a huge glacier near the top of Aconcagua, is receding and it spit out a camera. A camera had been found by some porters. And on the bottom of the camera uh, was a name, and the name was Janet Johnson. Now, the old guides on Aconcagua found out about this, and they said, oh my gosh, this is amazing. That's the most famous story of Aconcagua. This is a story about what really happened to Janet Johnson, and now we have her camera. And so we, um, we got the camera and got a hold of, of Janet's family. He, she only has one surviving member of the family left, and that's a sister. Uh, who was in her 80s, and she said, yes, please do what you can to help me um, figure out the mystery of what happened to my sister. And what does one do with 50-year-old film? Well, we found a lab in Canada, of all places, that um, specializes in in uh, processing old film, the kind of film that you might find in your attic after 100 years, or that you might find in a shipwreck. Anything damaged or old, they uh, they specialize in, in processing it. So we took the, the film to Canada and to this little lab, and they developed the film that was both in her camera, plus another roll that was found in a uh, knapsack that was found on the glacier as well. And um, we were able to see Janet Johnson's last two rolls of film, hoping that we would find clues about what really happened to her. Was there any evidence of her being incapacitated? Uh, there was not. Her last... Um, her last photos were taken high on Aconcagua um, during the day before the night that she, she um, things went really bad for them. Um, beautiful landscape photos of the, of the Andes surrounding her. So whatever, however incapacitated she was, she was able to focus the camera. You know, this is a, an old 30, 35 millimeter camera back in 1973. She's able to focus it and, and adjust the light and all that kind of thing. And she took very, very beautiful photographs. I realise that the New York Times um, has a bit of a policy of reporting the facts and letting the inferences lie wherever they fall. Give us a sense of what you think <laughs> happened. 
Well, it's interesting. I, I got to know very well a, a man named Rafael Moran, who was the journalist and is a prize-winning journalist in, in Argentina. Um, he was a young journalist at the time who covered the story, covered them before they went on their expedition and then covered all the aftermath. And I think he put it the best. He said, there's not enough evidence to accuse anybody of a crime here, but there's also no way you can say that maybe something didn't happen. And that's that's how I feel. I think there's a there's a sense that you just can't you can't side either way. Um, but it's interesting to me as people have been reading this, this this past week or so, how many people really want to dive into the evidence and try to come up with with solutions of their own. It's um it's been a fun yarn and a, and a fun tale to tell. Well, were you surprised by how much uh, the yarn has gotten purchased? Because it seems to be captivating people all the way around the world now that you've written it. It does. I really thought I was writing a story about a 50-year-old cold case, basically, um, that was likely not going to be solved. And the film that had had emerged out of the glacier gave us an excuse to kind of revisit it. Um, it, What's happened in the aftermath of this being published is that people want to treat it like a true crime, and they want to solve it. And, And what I've learned is that people today are doing exactly what people did in Argentina for the last 50 years which was take a little bit of information and then try to run with it and fill in all the gaps in the imagination and use their own imagination for what might have happened. And so just as I was trying to tell a tale about how this thing sort of became folklore in Argentina, people are doing the exact same thing today. I think it's just a human nature uh, component. Well, if you want to get involved in doing that, you'll find the story on the New York Times. Just search for the byline John Branch. A big thank you, John. Particular thank you, John, because I know, uh, given the time difference, you have gone out of your way to facilitate us. So thank you very much. Great talking to you. My pleasure. Thank you so much. The Anton Savage Show, Saturday. With Nifty Business. Saturday morning at nine. On News Talk.